I'm Nathan Rutherford, and welcome to Myth Madness. Many Greek heroes are founding fathers or legendary kings. They typically are responsible for founding a city or kingdom, or being the ancestral head of some powerful dynasty of later heroes. Some of them were obviously important to the ancient Greeks, but we don't know a lot about them today. One good example is Minyas, who was the founder of the city Orchomenos and a legendary ancestor of several later heroes. But many of these founding heroes are just a name, and their name carries through into the name of the city or group of people they were associated with. Generally, I think it's safe to assume that they were placed in the early years of the mythical age of heroes. They are still hard to place in a chronology of Greek heroes, though, either because the surviving myths about them are low on details, or because there are several inconsistent references to them. But there are a few main founder heroes, with some interesting myths surrounding them. The kings Kekrops and Erichthonius were involved in the founding of Athens, for example, and they easily go before the lives of other legendary heroes. I talked about Kekrops and Erichthonius back in the Athena episode. The Greek hero who will be the focus of this episode is Cadmus. He is the legendary founder of one of ancient Greece's most important cities, Thebes. In a rough timeline of Greece's mythical heroes, Cadmus and the founding of Thebes happens generations before the adventures of other heroes like Hercules and Jason. In fact, some of the events covered in today's episode actually occur before the birth of the god Dionysus. Unlike some of the other legendary founders of Greek cities, we know a fair amount about Cadmus and his exploits. But first, a quick overview of the sources for this episode's stories. Probably the main source for the life of Cadmus is the Bibliotheca, or library, written by the Greek historian Apollodorus. His work is usually dated to the 1st or 2nd century AD, but people used to think it was a few centuries older. Even though it's from the 2nd century AD, the library is a great record for Greek myths. Apollodorus provides short accounts of a huge selection of myths, and for some he gives the fullest versions we have, period. So I'll be coming back to him again as I go into the other Greek heroes. Apollodorus provides the fullest account for the life of Cadmus, so it will be the backbone of this episode's retelling. But although Apollodorus's library is from the 2nd century AD, many of the elements of the Cadmus myth go back to at least the archaic period of ancient Greece, almost a thousand years before. Cadmus's family is covered by Hesiod in the 7th century BC, and we get snippets of references to his life from the works of Pindar and Euripides in the 5th century BC. Later, in the 1st century BC, the Cadmus myth is also written in a work called the Fabulae, usually attributed to a Roman named Hyginus. The Fabulae is essentially someone's study notes, providing very quick, sparsely detailed retellings of many Greek myths. It could be a kind of summary for a larger, more detailed collection. Even though Cadmus's lasting legacy is the founding of a city, his founding of Thebes was not the original purpose of his quest. In his myths, it comes later. The story of Cadmus begins outside of Greece, in a country called Phoenicia. In Greek myth, Phoenicia was a far-off land, it was also a real culture, located in what is now Lebanon and Syria. But in the mythical Phoenicia, there lived a princess named Europa. And she was very beautiful. So beautiful 
that she got the attention of Zeus, who decided one day to kidnap and seduce her. Zeus turned himself into a white bull. Europa was picking flowers in a meadow with some nymphs when she saw the bull. She saw the magnificent animal, big and strong, and she approached it to get a better look. She found the bull to be tame, and made the mistake of climbing on top its back. At that moment, the bull, Zeus, began to carry her away. Europa was unable to jump down, and so the bull carried her away across the sea. So Europa was kidnapped by Zeus. We'll meet Europa again in a later episode. For now, the important bit is how her family reacted to her disappearance. Who Europa's parents are is an open question. Homer says a king named Phoenix. Other sources say Phoenix is her brother, and another man named Agenor is her father. There are also several different accounts on who her mother is. But what is consistent is she always has two brothers named Cadmus and Silix. After Europa was carried off by a mysterious white bull, Cadmus and Silix decided to leave Phoenicia and go and search the world for her. They were both unsuccessful in finding their sister. Silix left Phoenicia and ended up in Cilicia, a land located in what is now southern Turkey and is fairly close to where Phoenicia was. The name Silix and the land Cilicia is an example of how the ancient Greeks used founding figures to explain where similarly named lands and kingdoms came from. Europa's other brother, Cadmus, traveled farther. He made it all the way to Greece. Cadmus eventually traveled to the Oracle of Delphi, and the Oracle told him to forget his sister. It was the will of the gods that he never find Europa, but instead he had a very different destiny in store. He was to leave the Oracle and find a cow with a white mark on its head, and just like how he tried to follow the bull that carried Europa away, he was to follow this cow, wherever it went, and when the cow finally stopped to rest, Cadmus was to build a great city on that spot. Cadmus found the cow, and he followed it over the mountainous landscape all the way to the region of Boatia in the eastern part of Greece. The cow never stopped to rest, but after a journey of multiple days, after it crossed the Cephasus River, it was finally exhausted and laid down. Cadmus sacrificed the cow, giving it as an offering to the goddess Athena. He then set himself to the hard work of building a new city. Fortunately for Cadmus, he wasn't alone. He had some followers, either people from Phoenicia who set out with him on his search for Europa, or new people, maybe those who saw a man following a cow through the wilderness and, inspired by his resolve, decided to accompany him on his mission. Regardless of who these people were, Cadmus gives them an important task. If you're in the middle of nowhere and want to build a city and survive, the first thing you need is a source of clean drinking water. So Cadmus sends the men to go and find water. But time passed and they did not return. So Cadmus set out to look for them, and soon came across a spring of the purest fresh water. But the spring was guarded by a ferocious serpent monster, and Cadmus probably saw from the blood and severed limbs scattered about the place that the serpent had slaughtered and eaten all of Cadmus's companions. Cadmus killed the serpent. How? No idea. Maybe with arrows. Maybe with a sword. Maybe he had help from Athena. Regardless, after the serpent was safely dead, Athena appeared to Cadmus and told him to pull out all of the dead serpent's teeth and plant them in the ground. 
As soon as he did this, a host of fierce, hostile, and well-armed warriors grew out of the ground. Cadmus was surrounded and greatly outnumbered. He had somehow managed to kill the serpent at the spring, but how was he to defeat an army? Luckily for Cadmus, Athena told him to throw a rock into the midst of the earthborn warriors. They became confused, and not realizing he had thrown the rock, they began fighting amongst themselves. Eventually, the fighting stopped, and the field was littered with the corpses of dead men. Only five remained. They were called the Spartoi, which means sown men. Instead of fighting him, they joined Cadmus, made him their king, and set to work helping him build a massive fortress, called the Cadmia, at the center of a city Cadmus later called Thebes. Cadmus had fulfilled the will of the gods. He followed Athena's instructions and built a city that would go on to become an ancient Greek powerhouse. But little did he know, in the process, he greatly angered the war god, Ares. The problem was that the man-eating serpent Cadmus killed was not any old monster. The serpent was actually a son of Ares, and for its death, Ares wanted Cadmus punished. Fortunately for Cadmus, Ares, perhaps slightly out of character, didn't want Cadmus killed. Instead, the normally bloodthirsty god was content to make Cadmus his servant for eight years. Cadmus dutifully served Ares for the full eight years. Afterwards, Ares forgave Cadmus for the death of his son. Besides forgiveness, Cadmus also got something else. Ares's daughter Harmonia as a wife. Who was Harmonia? She was the daughter of Ares and Aphrodite, making her, technically, a full immortal. Not a demigod like many Greek heroes, or a full human like Cadmus. All the gods came to the Cadmia at Thebes to celebrate the wedding of Harmonia and Cadmus, to celebrate the marriage of one of their own. Now previously, back in the Hephaestus episode, I talked about the bizarre love triangle between Aphrodite, Ares, and Hephaestus. If you haven't already or just want a refresher, you can go back and listen to the full story. But essentially, Aphrodite was supposed to be married to Hephaestus, she had an affair, and several children with Ares. Hephaestus was not over the betrayal, and he took the opportunity of Harmonia's marriage to get some revenge. Hephaestus provided Cadmus with a beautiful golden necklace to give Harmonia as a wedding present. We have a couple descriptions of the necklace. Our archaic period source, Homer, says it was made entirely of gold, but two late Roman period sources give much more detailed descriptions. A man named Statius said it's a circlet studded with emeralds, but stamped with the images of Gorgon's eyes and other scary things of bad omen. The Roman poet says it was made by Hephaestus with help from the Cyclopses. Nonus, a Greek poet living around 400 AD, gives even more details. He says the necklace was in the shape of a coiling two-headed serpent, with the heads coming together at the front, and in between the heads was a golden eagle. The necklace was decorated with precious jewels like yellow jasper, white moonstone, agates, emeralds, and rubies. This luxurious necklace, Cadmus's wedding present, had a sinister secret. Hephaestus had cursed it, and whoever wore the necklace would fall to ruin. In another version, the Roman mythographer Hagenus doesn't talk about a cursed necklace. 
Instead, he gives a different piece of clothing. He says that after Harmonia was born, as a child of the affair between Ares and Aphrodite, Hephaestus and Athena gave the girl a robe dipped in crimes. This robe serves the same function as the cursed necklace. It marked Harmonia and her descendants as having a terrible destiny. The necklace has its roots with Homer. But where does the idea of both a robe and a necklace come from? The poet Diodorus, from the 1st century BC, so before both Apollodorus and Tegenus, says that both a robe and a necklace were given to Harmonia. But in Diodorus's version, they were gifts from her mother Aphrodite. So what is going on here? Well, essentially, all the gods came to Harmonia's wedding and gave the couple a number of wedding presents. Robes, necklaces, all sorts of things. Harmonia herself is cursed. It's not really her fault. It's a consequence of the affair between Ares and Aphrodite. But the curse is symbolized as coming from a wedding gift. In the Apollodorus version, Cadmus gives Harmonia the necklace, not realizing he was cursing his family in the process. But it would take some time for the curse to manifest itself. In the meantime, Cadmus and Harmonia had children. All of the surviving sources are consistent on their children, which is pretty unusual for Greek mythology. With other characters, usually there's an extra child thrown in there somewhere. Their daughters are Eno, Semele, Agave, and Autonoe. And finally, there was Polydorus. He is the youngest and the only son. A nice family, a wife, and a kingdom. What more could Cadmus ask for? Of course, now is just the right time for the curse on that snake-like necklace to rear its ugly head. A life free from care did not come to Cadmus, all because what happened to his children caused him bitter woes and stripped him of happiness. First, there was the daughter Autonoe. She had a son named Actaeon. He met his end due to the actions of an Olympian. Actaeon was a skilled hunter, and one day while deep in the woods, he happened to find the goddess Artemis bathing. Because he saw her naked, Artemis turned him into a deer and made his own hunting dogs chase after him and tear him to pieces. The grisly death of their grandson Actaeon was probably pretty stressful for Cadmus and Harmonia. Then there was the daughter Semele. Her story was an important part of the Dionysus episode, and I cover it in more detail there. But long story short, Zeus, the king of the universe, fell in love with Semele. Unlike with a lot of Zeus's seductions, the two of them actually seem to have had a relationship. But that ended when Semele asked to see Zeus in his true godly form. She couldn't handle it and burnt up. Pindar says that Semele herself was not the cause of Cadmus's woes. The real problem was what the other daughters did after her death. Apollodorus agrees and records that Semele's sisters, jealous of their dead sister's divine lover, started a rumor that she had had an affair with a human, made up the story about Zeus, and had been burned by him for the offense. The tragic death of Semele and the false, scandalous story of her affair were probably pretty stressful on her father and mother, Cadmus and Harmonia. It is through Semele that her family and Thebes in general became tied up with the god Dionysus. Her sister Eno is the first to be affected directly by the events. When Semele was killed upon looking at Zeus in his true form, she was actually pregnant. After she died, their unborn baby was taken from the ashes by Zeus and stitched into his own body. Zeus would later give birth to the boy himself, and this baby would be Dionysus. 
In the Dionysus episode, I covered different versions for how he was raised in secret after being born. In one version, recorded by multiple sources, Zeus gives the baby to Hermes, who takes him to his aunt Eno and her husband Athamas to raise. At first, they try and raise him as a girl, in hope of tricking the goddess Hera, who is angry about Zeus for, once again, having an extramarital affair. But Hera is not tricked, and the goddess causes Eno's husband, Athamas, to go insane and kill their own son, Lurchus. To escape her crazed husband, Eno threw herself into the sea with her other son, Melicertes. In another story, told by Apollodorus, Eno herself killed Melicertes before jumping into the sea. Perhaps supporting the first version, Homer, Pindar, Aeschylus, and others have Dionysus transform Eno into the sea goddess Leucothea after she jumped into the water. With the incidents involving Eno, there are more deaths and more stress in the royal Theban family. But it was what happened to the remaining daughter, Agave, and her side of the family that was the cause of the most grief for Cadmus and Harmonia. The best source for this part of the myth is Euripides' 5th century play, Bacchae. In the play, Cadmus is still alive in Thebes, but is retired. Probably exhausted by the curse on his family, he gave up the throne, and the crown passed to his grandson, Pentheus, the son of Agave. During this time, Dionysus, that unborn son of Semele, who was whisked away by Zeus, born again and raised by nymphs, returned to the homeland of his mother. Once again, I gave the story in the Dionysus episode, but essentially this return did not go well. Dionysus returned to Thebes, but he was not welcomed with open arms. Far from it, in fact. Pentheus did not accept Dionysus, or his horde of free-living and free-loving worshippers. He tried to imprison them, so Dionysus turned his mother insane, and Agave tore Pentheus's limbs off and paraded around with his head. The god Dionysus then told Cadmus that he will leave the city and take his wife with him. Apollodorus's library tells us that after Cadmus and Harmonia left Thebes, they went north to Illyria, an area that is approximately where Albania is today. There they were made the rulers of a tribe of people called the Enchelians, and founded two more cities. But even though they were far away from Thebes, Hyginus says Cadmus was still troubled by the old curse on him and Harmonia. I could guess that Harmonia didn't leave the necklace behind when they gave up their lives in Thebes, but packed it into their luggage secretly. But Hyginus actually doesn't blame the necklace for their problems. He says Cadmus is cursed because he killed Ares' serpent so many years ago, even though Cadmus served Ares for eight years as a consequence. Hyginus has Cadmus, in peak exhaustion, shout to the gods that if they loved the life of a serpent so much, then he should have it too. And so at that moment, the gods made Cadmus grow scales and change into a snake. When Harmonia saw what happened, she asked the gods to turn her into a snake too, so she could remain with her husband forever. The two snakes then slithered away together. This shape change into snakes is not even a late addition to this story. It was also recorded a couple hundred years earlier by Euripides, who mentions it at the end of the Bacchae play. So that's the myth of Cadmus, how he came to Greece from Phoenicia while looking for his sister, how he was signed a new job of founding a city, and the many sad situations that involved his family afterwards. The curse on Cadmus and Harmonia's family makes for good tragedies, which is probably why Euripides wrote a play about it. 
but other ancient Greeks were focused more on Cadmus's founder legacy. One example was the Greek historian Herodotus, who lived around 480 to 425 BC, so in the period of classical Greece. His famous book, called The Histories, gave an account of the wars between Greece and Persia that occurred in the generations before him. But as an ancient Greek of the classical period, for Herodotus, there was not really much separating the myths and legends from the factual history, and so his book is full of references to heroes, gods, and legendary kings. And he actually talks about Cadmus too, and what he brought with him when he supposedly came to Greece from Phoenicia. According to Herodotus, Cadmus did not just come by himself, he brought a whole crew of Phoenicians with him, and they did not just found the city of Thebes, they also brought the Phoenician alphabet with them, and introduced writing to Greece. Herodotus says that, as time went on, the sound and form of the letters were changed. The Greeks who settled around them, after being taught the letters by the Phoenicians, used them with a few changes of form. Funny enough, this does match slightly with what we know about the invention of writing in ancient Greece. The earliest examples of Greek letters are very similar to the letters used by the real-life Phoenicians. Many scholars believe that the Greek alphabet was actually based on the earlier Phoenician one, and that this adoption happened sometime around 800 BC, or even a bit earlier. So, food for thought. Is the myth of Cadmus referring to real-life history of how Phoenicians came to Greece and introduced the alphabet? Perhaps. Herodotus seemed to think this happened thousands of years before, but Herodotus and other early Greek historians likely did not know how new the Phoenician-based alphabet was. 800 BC is right in the archaic period of ancient Greece, at the beginning of Greek history that we normally talk about, but the Mycenaean period was a few hundred years before. As I talked about before, the myths of the Greek heroes are supposed to take place in a mythical version of the Mycenaean world. The Mycenaeans had their own system of writing, one that we call Linear B today. But after the Mycenaean civilization collapsed, knowledge of Linear B was lost in the Dark Ages before the Greek Archaic period. When the classical Greeks started thinking back about their Mycenaean ancestors, they probably tied into the stories of Cadmus what they were vaguely aware of about the origins of their own alphabet. Both Herodotus and Apollodorus tell that Cadmus had a foreign Phoenician origin. That might make you think that the myths of Cadmus are themselves of foreign origin. But most scholars agree that Cadmus was a Greek hero, and that the stories of him being a Phoenician immigrant are part of only one myth tradition, and that this tradition was the one that gained popularity over time and became the dominant one. There are some clues of what the other Cadmus traditions were. First, the name Cadmus is not Phoenician. It is probably a Greek name something that's unexpected if he was really from outside of Greece. The name Cadmilos was very important on the Greek island Samothrace. There, Cadmilos was used as another name for the god Hermes, and was at the center of an ancient cult that goes back before 700 BC. Could the Theban hero Cadmus be based on the Samothracian god Hermes Cadmilos? Maybe, The ancient Greek historian Diodorus says that after Cadmus left on his search for Europa, he actually went to Samothrace first, was initiated into the local cult, and even met his future wife Harmonia there. So, it's not exactly clear 
what exactly the connection with Cadmus and Samothrace is, but there is a connection, and it might have to do with how Cadmus was thought of in the earliest periods of ancient Greece. But we unfortunately only have the very basic ideas of what those thoughts were. And that's the Greek hero Cadmus. Unlike a number of Greek heroes, I think we can safely call him heroic in the way we think of it today. Cadmus is a classic good guy. He's not problematic like some of the other heroes I'm going to talk about in this season of Myth Madness. He starts out intending to find or rescue his sister Europa, and later founds Thebes according to the will of the gods. In doing so, he angers Ares, but is penitent, and eventually reconciled with the god. He is married to Harmonia, and seems to treat his wife fairly well. She even wanted to join him as a snake. The tragedy of Cadmus comes in the later years of their marriage, and involves his family, and is the accidental result of some of the choices he makes, either because he is cursed by Hephaestus or by Ares. And that's all for today. Next episode, we'll continue with Cadmus's dynasty and cover some more legendary kings involved in the founding of Thebes and the years afterwards. Stay tuned. If you're enjoying this podcast, please send it to a friend who would enjoy it too. You can listen to the pod on several podcast streaming platforms, and I'm also slowly putting the back catalog of episodes on YouTube, audio only, but that is another option if you prefer it in the future. As always, Thank you for listening.